morning. Tell me I'm going to speak on Jonah 2, no problem. Put me in front of people, no problem. Tell me to use that microphone stand and I forget to lower it, <laughs> then I'm a nervous wreck. <laughs> so I had to catch Madison and say, I don't even know how to lower that. I'll vomit somehow. Um, my name is Debbie White. I've been a longtime member here. Jeff, when Jeff and Jody are on vacation, it falls to someone else to give the message. We're delighted that they're at the beach together as a family watching their oldest daughter play ball. So we're just thrilled for that, and thank you for coming anyway, even when the cat's away. We know how mice play. It was the 1980s. Some of you were there. You know, it was the blessed end of the polyester era. And look what came back. <laughs> Shocking. The stuff we, never, we swore we'd never wear again. And here we are with not only polyester, but we have jumpsuits. They're back. And I'm just assuming that leisure suits are going to sneak in somewhere, and then we'll know that we're in a time warp. So in these 1980s, I found myself wishing for more time for myself. I had a 60-hour-a-week job and three kids in middle and elementary school. Most of us have and still have that same deck stacked together stacked against time for ourselves. So it was right in the middle of this chaos that I began to sense that God wanted some time. He wanted time that was going to be exclusively his and mine together. He has a way of showing up like that. When you're already busy enough, he says, oh, can I have some of that time that you don't have? Or may I have a little bit of that money that you don't have? Or can you help that family that you just passed on the highway? It looks like they have a flat tire. Or can you give this person some time on the phone? They really need to tell you what is going on in their life and they need some hope and encouragement. And every now and then we are, God, really, what about me? What about my time? What about what I deserve? This wrestling match between God and me moved into the 90s. I was now giving him considerable time in the morning because I had moved to Bryson City where I had fewer claims on my own time. Then, out of nowhere, he said, give me your alarm clock. That's a whole new ballgame. This isn't a time claim. This is a trust issue. Some of you have heard this story before, like the time I went to visit my mom, and she said, do you want me to set an alarm? I tried to casually say, oh, I'll just let God wake me up. And in her sweet, <laughs> precious way, she goes, what if he forgets? We're in the middle of a study on Jonah, and I get why he ran away. God was trying to make a time and trust claim on Jonah's life. And if you've been here the last two weeks, you've gotten a rundown of the story found in the Old Testament. Jonah, minding his own business. God makes it clear that he wants Jonah to go to Nineveh to preach repentance to that place because judgment is about to fall. Jonah says, I'm out of here, paying my good money to board a ship for Tarshish because surely God won't bother me there. Never say surely to God. God bothers him with a storm, a storm so big and bad that the sailors say, what have you done to offend your God? Our gods aren't listening to us beg for our lives. 
Jonah, to his credit, says, this is my bad, throw me overboard, and everything will turn out fine for you. They do. They throw him overboard. God rescues Jonah by swallowing, up into a sea, swallowing him up into a sea creature, and he gets time out for disobeying. Apparently a three-day time out before Jonah makes his next move. So here this morning, we're finding ourselves in time out with Jonah at the beginning of chapter 2. The papers on your tables are the prayer that is chapter 2 that Madison read earlier. Did you know that time out began in the Garden of Eden? We who are parents, parenting in the 70s and 80s and 90s, think we invented time out. No, it started in the Garden of Eden. Time out is assigned, as you know, when a child is disobedient or out of control. In the garden, we were in full relationship with God. We were enjoying his design and his provisions. When we disobeyed, we put the entire human race in a timeout of sorts. We were thrown out of the garden, fixed with a date of bodily death, and we were harnessed with a sin nature with which we constantly wrestle. That's a pretty serious timeout. We want to know, is there a way back in? Is there a way back into full, full relationship with God? Yes. We're invited in the course of our lives to exit this timeout and join God on his terms. So we can get out of timeout, but it is on his terms, which are, of course, counterintuitive to our independent and self-made spirit. In Mark 8, we read, Calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, Anyone who intends to come with me has to let me lead. You are not in the driver's seat. I am. Don't run from suffering. Embrace it. Follow me and I'll show you how. Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is my way. My way to saving yourself, your true self. What good would it do to get everything you want and lose you, the real you? What could you ever trade your soul for? Jonah was unsuccessful in the driver's seat. His own, his own idea of suffering was to go to Nineveh. He was going to watch, have to watch God forgive those people. And apparently, as we'll find out in chapters 3 and 4, he didn't want them to really be forgiven. Yet God himself asked Jonah to embrace just that. What could God mean by saying, we find our real selves by sacrificing ourselves? Last week, Jeff made the case that Jonah was somewhat of a racist with a measure of hate. I want to add narcissist to the mix. Unfortunately, that label fits more of us than we care to admit. A narcissist believes that she or he is special, entitled, and deserving of more than everyone else around them. According to Jenny Dyer, who works at Hope Through Healing Hands, Psychologists have been studying the increasing tidal wave of narcissism, finding that the number of individuals diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder is growing exponentially. It's been re referenced by researchers as, as an epidemic. So this grandiose sense of self is, is an epidemic in our culture. She continues, 
Ironically, narcissists who seem to be caught in an inextricable web of self-absorption may also struggle immensely with insecurity, anxiety, depression, violence, and self-loathing at times. Well, look ahead into Jonah in chapter 4 reveals these very traits that he had. Rather than ride out God's charted path, he chose an emotional roller coaster. He was disobeying, then crying out for his life. He gets it together in chapter 3 and obeys to the letter. But then when God and Nineveh work out their differences and 120,000 people were rescued from God's judgment, Jonah throws a temper tantrum. Now that's a mess. We might be narcissistic if we resent God's good moving into the life of someone else. And heaven help if we're the tool that God wants to use to bring that good to that someone else. How dare he prevail upon me? Jonah needed a prayer that changes us from the inside out. Lord, transform our discontent. God is this trifling God who messes with our I-want-to-do-it-my-way mentality. He routes all our life events through this grid of what is best for us for us. The problem is that's known only to him. He said to leave that tree alone in the Garden of Eden. Nope, we had to do it our way. Come to think of it, we can only blame that 1970s mishap with polyester on ourselves because remember in the garden we had to start wearing clothes. That grid of what is best is only known by God. Jonah had a divine appointment with Nineveh. Only God could know Jonah's heart so well that he uncovered the racism and narcissism that lurked within. Jonah may have never admitted that he didn't want good things, like forgiveness and a second chance, for anyone besides himself and maybe those he loved. But God can detect our seediness, our secret discontent, and he wants to free us from it. I came across the most amazing sequence of verses this week. I bet I've read this chapter 50 times and I've never noticed this. In John 20, Mary Magdalene discovers the empty tomb and comes face to face with the risen Jesus. The disciples learn of this and are locked in a room later that day, surely scared and uncertain. Their world had turned upside down in a three-day span. There goes God again, disturbing our peace. Only his grid, always with our best interest at heart, is once again transforming our discontent. Jesus appears in the room and says twice, Peace to you. When you hear it twice, it's important. Okay, peace to you, we've got it. But then he says, Just as the Father sent me, I send you. Send me where? And what if I don't want to go? That's not even the kicker. (laughs) Jesus takes a deep breath and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Okay, that sounds very, very important. Receive the Holy Spirit, Jesus to us. But then look what happens. So Jesus takes a deep breath and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Then he said, If you forgive someone's sins, they're gone for good. If you don't forgive sins, 
What are you going to do with them? I have never heard that verse in my whole life, and I must have read it 50 times. I don't, I don't know what I'm going to do with them. I didn't know I was in charge of them. But I made myself in charge when I decided to not forgive. So if we don't forgive sins, they're on our backs. We know that the crucifixion, all our sins were on the back of Jesus. He came to do that for us. And so what do we do? Well, we always do. We think we're in the driver's seat. We decide whom and what gets forgiven. Yep, that is narcissistic. If you don't forgive someone's sins, what are you going to do with them? That question has been ringing in my head all week. Isn't that a huge piece of our discontent? Watching what is going on with others, presumably at the hand of God and not approving of what we see. Look what he did, God. How can you forgive him for that? Our secret, special, entitled self sets up an impressive array of resentment when someone else gets what we think we deserve. As Madison read in Jonah, our guy was at the bottom of the ocean, breathing his last in a tangle of seaweed. Then he remembered God. Good time to do so. If you're going to remember him, remember him at your last breath. He realized he had walked away from his only true love, and he says at the end of the prayer, But I'm worshiping you, God, calling out in thanksgiving, and I'll do what I promised I'd do. Salvation belongs to God. Again, we should pay attention to sequence and what is all together in the same few sentences. Look at that. Worship, thanksgiving, obedience. And then what do we step into? Salvation. Jesus said to the disciples, I'm sending you. God said to Jonah, I'm sending you. He says to us, I'm sending you. I'm sending you into the blueprint I have for your life. Let me drive. You'll see that you are made for this because I made you myself. Last week, on a very sad note, we said goodbye to Nina Satoshi Nelson, only 28 years old. If anyone stepped with grace into the blueprint of her life, it was Nina. She was only the third known birth where in utero there had been no exit for the waste that normally moves through our body. What should have come out never did and thus forever changed all that was within. She was five hours old at her first surgery and she was counted out from the beginning. So what did she make of such horror? Grace, service, and love. She stepped into her blueprint and said to God, show me how I can love and serve others. That was her passion. It is mind-boggling how she turned self-absorption on its head and lived only for others. When we live out our blueprint designed by God, we leave a footprint that generates this outpouring love of God. To miss the blueprint, as we see with Jonah, is to become cranky and ungrateful. The seeds of narcissism sprout and discontent flourishes. Jenny Dyer, in her blog on the narcissism, says there's an antidote. She quotes psychotherapist Gabriel Burns as saying, 
Listening, I think, is one of the most profound compliments that you can pay to another person. Listening is one of the most profound compliments you can pay to another person. To truly listen and to feel that you're heard is deeply fulfilling in a deep human way. She notes that this awareness of listening is an act of empathy. Neurological studies show that unselfish concern for others is actually a biological response, and we are hardwired for it. And listen to this. Here's a bonus. Acts of generosity, empathy, or altruism light up a part of the brain that is usually associated with pleasurable actions like eating and sex. Only God could wire all that together. So listening, generosity, empathy, and altruism are the antidotes to narcissism, the pathway out of discontent, and the writing of ourselves onto the blueprint of our life. Those practices stimulate the, the pleasurable part of our brain, and they transform our footprint into something that radiates the love of God. So why is this so hard for us? I don't think there is any skill as underdeveloped in us as the skill of listening. When God bothered me all those years ago to start spending intentional time with him, he was asking me to listen, to learn to hear his voice so that he could lead me into the blueprint of my life. That is where I would find the life that he shaped me for. That is where I would find the solid rock on which to build my life. Not just by skimping by on knowing who Jesus is and saying a few words to get access to heaven. Salvation happens every time we step into the blueprint of our life. Jonah says salvation belongs to God. He didn't say it belongs to us. Salvation is God shaping us for eternity by stepping into his design for us here. So how can I listen and know where God is leading me? We can ask God to break open our listening muscle, cleanse it, redirect it, help it to please him. We have a listening muscle that's underdeveloped. We ask him to develop it. We can ask him to breathe his Holy Spirit on our listening, moving us to a posture of forgiving others and ourselves. Do we listen and soldier on like Nina, she listened to one grim prognosis after another and simply got on with giving. She didn't get on with living, she got on with giving. Or do we listen and reject? Do we pay good money to board any venue that will get us away from God's voice? Or do we listen and run away? Do we find ourselves in a tangle of seaweed, ocean deep in misery? because we actively refuse to do what God is asking of us? Or do we listen and think we know better? Who is God to think that he knows me better than I know me? So let's look at who listened to God. The sailors on the ship with Jonah listened to him when he said he worshiped God, the God of heaven who made sea and land. So by listening to that, they then prayed to God. Oh God, don't let us drown because this man's life. And don't blame us for his death. You are God. Do what you think is best. 
These are people that had never met the God of heaven and earth. They had their own gods. They took Jonah and threw him overboard. Immediately the sea was quieted down. The sailors were impressed, no longer terrified of the sea, but properly in awe of God. They worshipped God, offered a sacrifice, and made vows. They turned around in an instant. The sailors stepping into the, stepped into the blueprint of their lives and into salvation that very day. Nina listened. She heard the bad news and somehow understood that it came through the grid of God's best interest for her, and she turned herself towards serving others, listening to each next place that God pointed. Nina stepped into the blueprint of her life, living here and now there, living here and now there, always radiant in her salvation. Jeff listens. He hears God say that this place is to step into the blueprint designed for us, even when it doesn't match up with what we've always looked like or thought we were about. Jeff hears that our footprint is to be about love and acceptance and embrace, knowing we all fall short, but we can journey together, transforming our discontent and converting that energy into service. The Grove can step into the blueprint of its life, and therein each of us can find support and encouragement to God on our own. When Nineveh listened, it changed God's course of action. Did you know that listening can do that? It can change God's course of action. He was set to destroy Nineveh and changed his mind because of their repentance. That is important. Listening is the forum in which we find resources to give to others. When we truly listen to God, we hear two things. We hear that we are ordinary and that he is extraordinary. Knowing we are ordinary rules out entitlement and narcissism. Knowing God is extraordinary and that he made us and loves us beyond our comprehension means that we can step into the blueprint and find the adventure of our lives, the one that was designed for our lives. There's a movie, McFarland, USA. Maybe you've seen it. In this movie, a rather unsuccessful football coach finds himself in a small migrant town in Texas. He discovers that in the ordinary life of a migrant family, the children have a work ethic that we can't hold a candle to. This coach then stumbles into organizing a cross-country team, converting these ordinary skills of migrant high school kids into something else. And the extraordinary happens. They step into a blueprint that they never even imagined could be for them, leading to a future they had dared not dream. That's how God wants to work in our lives. Richard Rohr says that St. Francis rejoiced in his ordinariness and there he found the freedom of the gospel. He says it's the ultimate coup d'etat of your soul to trade your self-serving, your self-serving self to serve others. A coup d'etat of the soul. Where the ordinary turned extraordinary by letting God lead us into that extraordinary blueprint that, that transforms our discontent 
into something that will radiate God's love for the world. This morning, my God alarm awakened me when there was only a two on the left, (laughs) on a digital clock. I'll sleep later. I know what he is saying to us today is important, and I had work left to do on these words. So I responded. God speaks to me in a myriad of ways because I believe he can, and I believe he does. And I listen. Over hundreds and hundreds of together hours, we've cultivated a language that I recognize. He promises in his word that the sheep will know his voice, and I know that to be true. So when he asked me to give up my alarm clock, I didn't have trouble believing that that was his voice. My issues were trusting that he would be reliable, that he had only my best interest at heart, and that I should simply obey. Jonah, after his time out, obeyed, but then he ran into this larger heart issue of discontent. His narcissism put him in a precarious place because he was angry with God for giving others what he thought he more rightly deserved. Did Jonah ever experience a true transformation of his discontent? Only God knows that. But here in this place, we have the responsibility of offering our own heart to God for just such a transformation. Perhaps you'll pray with me the prayer you see on the screen. Lord, through your Holy Spirit, kindly show me every seed of discontent that lurks within. I give you permission to rescue me from the belly of that discontent and transform it into your blueprint for my life. Where I have been cranky and ungrateful for events and people in my life, I ask forgiveness. Help me stop carrying around unforgiveness of others because it's true that I do not know what I'm going to do with that burden. By following you into the blueprint of my life, I look forward to an ever greater footprint that carries the love of God into my circle of influence. We honor you above all else. Thank you for the life of Jonah and all you are teaching us through his story. And may our own story belong exclusively to you. Amen.